Welcome to the Tim Castle Live Show, where we meet courageous people doing inspirational things around the world. Okay, so this week I was lucky enough to sit down with Shobani Gopal. She's co-founder and CEO of Startup Upstreet and also founder and CEO of The Remarkable Woman. Shivani is an absolute inspiration. Talk about finding courageous people doing inspirational things around the world, which is the tagline of the show. Talk about that. Shivani is the epitome of that exact concept. And I was so privileged to sit down with her today and just talk through her story and how she's gone about being both CEO of two businesses, but also just where that passion and that drive comes from and what her vision and mission is for the world and for the women that she represents. And she is certainly leading the charge in this respect. She is taking the mantle. She's taking and pushing further. And as, as, as we go into in the, in the podcast, she talks all about how she's always about pushing the extremities and the, to the limitations of her own human potential. And that's something that I think really resonates with me and it resonates with my audience here. And I know that you're going to love. It's just about how do you take yourself and what you've got in the truest sense of yourself and how do you give yourself to the world in the best version of yourself and in the complete capacity that you have to give. And Shivani goes into detail and she drops so much knowledge in this episode about how you do that and about how you take steps to elevate yourself, about how you go into a room and be confident, about how you break down a negotiation, about how you can really structure your life to get success, but also to really find that inner person in yourself. And you can just see her beaming. She's really shining a light and she's leaving a path of light in wherever she goes. It's an amazing episode. Watch it, watch it again, watch it deeply, write notes while you're watching it. There is so much value in this episode. Shivani over delivers. And if you want to follow her, I really recommend you follow her online. Type Shivani Gopal into Google. She will come up all over the place. You'll see some of the work that she's doing. Go into The Remarkable Woman and support that because that is an amazing, amazing movement for women. And it's really taking that forward. Also, I recommend that you spend some time with this episode, dig into it, really understand the concepts that are going on here and how you can really contribute. Without further ado, though, let's introduce Shivani Gopal. Welcome to the show, Shivani Gopal, CEO and founder of The Remarkable Woman. And oh, it's a movement for women and mentors and influence. I saw there's so much. And having seen that over the last three years rise to the, to the place that it now is, and also really interested to chat about co-founder and CEO of Upstreet, the newest app on the block for revolutionizing rewards and payments and how you get paid with shares. So it's really, really exciting. And also Shivani, a friend that I've, I've known for a number of years now, and it's great to have you on the show. So welcome. Thank you so much, Tim. It's wonderful to be here. Awesome. Well, let's kick off with, I guess, the starting point. I'm really interested to understand what is your motto for life and how do you apply it to your daily life? So I've got a, I've got a couple of them. Um, and I think that we each need mottos in our itinerary 
so that we can pull them out as and when we need them. Because life throws some things your way. And it's so important that you have something that you can take out and go, this is what I need right now. It's the right antidote for this situation so I can take and run with. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a few that have really served me. And the first one that I live by, and I think I have unconsciously lived by this um, ever since I can remember, is that I owe it to myself to find out what that limit is and to achieve my ever-growing potential. And I think that is so important. And for me, it's so profound personally, because I think that the moment I reach one level, then I've suddenly attained another block up that I can now just reach for that I previously couldn't yesterday. And now that I've attained that level, I owe it to myself to just stretch a little bit further and to do a little bit more because by doing that, I'm not just helping myself, but you know, I'm, I'm helping future generations as well by setting an example. And, um, and I think there's so much mixed in that, you know, the, the courage, the fearlessness, um, the ambition, all of that stuff. So that's, that's a bit of an ongoing motto that I have. Um, another one is, you know, my own sense of purpose. Um, and uh, it's something, of course, you know, you and I were brought together as friends through the MBA. And one of the exercises we were told to do very, very early on was to find our own leadership purpose. And so when I did this, it was a real personally visceral exercise um, and one that has a lasting impact on me. And my own purpose statement is to live a fully expressed life and to be fearless in the pursuit of a greater tomorrow with courage and compassion. And that serves me a lot because, you know, doing what I'm doing here with you right now, Tim, is mm. me living my version of a fully expressed life. Setting up and running two companies is my version of living a fully expressed life. If someone says to me, you can't do that, Shivani, you can't run two companies, you can't have two teams, you can't do podcasts in between, I will tell them that this is how I wish to express my life and how I wish to live it. So I choose to dance to my own tune and I choose to do it courageously and I choose to do so fearlessly um, if, if I want something better for myself or for others. Um, and that serves me um, incredibly well. And, and the final one that I'll share with you um, is to always you know, show up in all your glory because I think that we have a certain level of imposter syndrome within us. Um, in fact, I think that, you know, someone may be a psychopath if they have no level of self-doubt or no level of imposter syndrome ever. I think we all go through that. And I think we need to remind ourselves of our humanhood and that we will face a time where we're doubting ourselves just enough to turn the volume down on our greatness. And when we do that, we're simply not serving ourselves. So I'm constantly, you know, daring myself to be present, to be present rather, and to show up in all the glory that I have. That's fantastic. <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> wow, that's a lot to take in there. There's a lot of uh, courage and a lot of things playing out in that. Did, did those, I'm keen to know, did those mottos, did they build over time? Were there specific experiences that brought them to the fore? Because I mean, mine, for instance, mm. believe it is possible. And in my first book, The Art of Negotiation, it was all about that. And then I draw that out and that's been my motto. But in yours, I love the fact that you've got three or probably even more that you can draw out at different circumstances to rally yourself up, to go into different things courageously. But also what I saw in that, they're, they're broad as well and they apply to the general bigger vision of your game plan. Mm. Was, 
in that, was there, was there a game plan? Like, it, was it your mission to go out and run two companies and do that? Or was it more about having these, like, mottos that then, because you had them, it then created this life for you because, and it kept going forward and forward and forward. It's such an interesting, it's such a deep question. Um, I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? You, you know, I think it's so important that you have a vision for your life. And I think I've always had a big vision for my life. I've always been an ambitious kind of girl and mm. now an ambitious woman. And I think it's really important that we embody that um, fully and unabashedly. And so that, that vision for my life, I guess, has always been big and bold and courageous to, you know, to use that word. And it has brought about, I guess, strong sense of antennas, right? It's always up and it's tuning and it's figuring out and being self-aware. And, you know, by constantly synthesizing these experiences, you know, huh, that happened that kind of sucked or that was awesome. What does that mean to me? Why is that so important? What lasting impression has that had? What do I want to do going forward? Those, that process of synthesis brought upon some of these, some of these, you know, mantras um, for me and, and then vice versa, those mantras have driven me forward. But I, I think that, yes, you know, some of my life experiences have brought that. I mean, I, I got married, Tim, um, at a very young age, and, um, and, you know, he was my high school boyfriend and, um, and we, you know, we both did so because, you know, we were sprung, you know, um, mm. having a, you know, and, um, and in the Indian network, um, you're not supposed to have a boyfriend, you're supposed to magically get married, right. And, and find the, the right man. And, and of course life doesn't work that way. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't right, you know, for both of us and we eventually got divorced, but mm. that process was really hard for me because in my culture, you get married for seven lifetimes. It's a, it's a unity of the soul. Yes. And I'm a romantic, so I, I love the concept of this. I, I, I love love, right? And, um, and it was really hard for me to tear away from a big chunk of my identity, my cultural identity, and so many things that I've romanticised about and, uh, and still do adore um, in my life. And so that identity crisis, and, but also surviving that, gave me a lot of these mottos as well and gave me the, um, you know, the, the re-fulfillment of my own sense of being and confidence that, you know, mm. then again, brought up some of these, um, these thought processes, I guess. I saw it. Yeah. I, I did see that in my research and when I was preparing for this podcast. Uh, if you don't mind, was, was that something you went through on your own when you had to get divorced or was that, like, how was it with the experience of your family as well? I can imagine if, like, how did that play out? So initially, I, I unfortunately did go through it alone. I was the first person in my community to ever get divorced. I mean, I got married young, I got divorced young. Mm. And so no one in my friendship group had ever gotten divorced. And of course, you know, as young boys and girls, you, you know, no one even plans for a divorce. It's never something that's in your game plan. And, um, and so there's a lot of judgment and stigma around this, but especially in my culture mm. as well. Um, and so I, I thought that in order to survive this, that I probably have to, I don't know, leave the country, change my name, go to America and live a new life or something because I had to completely escape my reality um, and I, it was a very soul destroying experience mm. and one in which I felt I was utterly and entirely alone. And 
I guess, Tim, you know, going back to that first question that you asked me around, you know, um, what was it about my life? It was that vision for my, for my life that kept me going because I could have taken the easy way out and just gone back. Right. Mm -hmm. And life would have made sense again because I made society happy again. And if society was happy again, then life got easier. Right. But the easy way out isn't the best way out for you. It's just a quick sort of, um, pill, I guess. And because I had this strong vision for what I wanted and I innately felt that I could, I could do that. And I, and that I think in my core that I deserved a better life. That's what got me going. And once I got past the 10 month period of separation, that's when my family and friends finally came round, And that's when I felt like I stopped living a lie. And that's when things got easier. Yeah. I can imagine like that would have been, so hard to even that 10 months even just to do that yeah. that path and to to go against the grain of everything that your culture had kind of imprinted do like do who do you take your cues from and do you have mentors yeah i think we all you have to have mentors you know if you want to be better in life you need to learn from those who have been there and done that and have experienced it and can guide you through it. So I, I have many mentors and I have incredible role models as well. And I've always been one who've gone out and, and sought mentorship as well. So um, I have mentors at the moment by way of, you know, business coaches and also people who um, are incredible places at, at their career um, that have you know been kind enough to take me under their wing. But then I've also got other kinds of mentors who are people that I, I just look up to and I think, I love what you've done with your life. I admire you and I'm going to research you and I'm going to take all this good stuff and I'm going to see if I can apply it to me. Mm. And, and Oprah, Oprah Winfrey is one of those um, incredible women, you know, who has come from so much adversity and just didn't accept that version of her life. She knew that she deserved more. She knew that she was incredibly talented and she just charged out there and got it. No apologies whatsoever. And I love the way that she communicates. So again, so unashamedly, she owns her space. She owns her aura. And I think that especially as women, we must do that. Could you imagine where the world would be if we just did that for ourselves? So I, I, I tend to look for, for mentors in that way as well. And, um, and you know, deep dive and, uh, and you know, take away lessons wherever I can. What's your advice for a woman that is potentially dampening down their aura, what, like holding back, like you said earlier, like we, a, a woman maybe to that potentially their greatness, they take the shine, they step a little bit back. What, what's your advice mm. for someone that, that notices themselves doing that? And particularly a woman noticing themselves, they know they're not going out to the full outer limits and potentially, like you said, it's always about pushing, pushing, pushing further of, of the extremities of your limits. What would be your advice? Yeah. Do the work on being as self-aware as you can, because once you do, you will start to become more aware on when you are dialing down your glory or dialing it up just to the right level of where it needs to be. And I know this sounds strange, Tim, because, you know, people would think, you know, for example, I'm 34 going on 35. So if, if anyone who's my age would go, well, I've lived with myself for 34 years, obviously I know myself. Um, to be fair, you don't. To be fair, you don't because you've been mixed in a world where everyone else is telling you who you are. And it's busy and it's noisy and it's not till you cut out all that crap 
and you do the work on you, on who you really are and what truly serves you, that you are genuinely self-aware so that you can be um, able to, you know, act on those signals. Um, and, and once you do, when you know who you are, what really serves you, what your genuine strengths are, and what people recognize and value you for, then you've literally got that toolkit and you'll have the information, you're armed and dangerous to go, hang on a second, I am so damn good at presenting or communicating or building relationships or, um, you know, creating analysis. These, this is stuff that I've got that nobody else does in the way that I do, the uniqueness that I bring, the blend that I bring, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a smoothie, right? Everyone can have these core ingredients, but the way that you blend it is different. Um, and, and so once you know that and you're aware of that, it gives you the knowledge, the facts, so that you use it as fuel for your courage and say, I'm going to step out of this imposter syndrome and I'm going to do exactly these things because I know that it serves me. And that's why the self-awareness piece is really important. And, um, and, and I'd say do that by, um, you know, by reaching out to people that you trust um, to do that work, um, you know, or come on board if you want to, uh, as a signature member of the Remarkable Woman, we'll help you do that work. Um, but I think it's really important. But I also think it's really important to keep revisiting that, Tim. The world is a noisy, busy place. It knocks us about constantly. You'll fall down, you'll scratch your knees, you'll make, you know, terrible blunders because we all do. And then you'll curse yourself and think you're not perfect and you're not deserving of whatever it is that you're working towards. Again, that's just imposter syndrome coming back. You're human, you're going to make mistakes. Finding yourself, being self-aware and the work on being the best you possible is an ongoing journey. You don't just turn up and find yourself by going on a six week long trip to Europe or anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. So remarkable woman. That is an amazing feat and it's gone from strength to strength. Can you talk a little bit about how that started and then what your vision is for The Remarkable Woman? Yeah, of course. Look, The Remarkable Woman started, um, again, through me synthesizing some of my most powerful experiences. And some of those were that in my early career, when I was a financial advisor, I'd studied really hard. I had a, a, you know, a master's degree in commerce, majoring in financial advice, and I decided I was going to be the best darn financial advisor there was in Sydney. And so I went up and I you know, thought, well, if I want to be that person, I'm going to tap the person on the shoulder that is the best person in the company because if I can get that person to take me under their wing, then if I can learn from the best, then surely I'll be the best, right? And I asked this person for mentoring, um, by doing the research, by doing the work and telling him how much I admired him by fact-based information. And, uh, and he looked me up and down and said that I was too young and too pretty. That was his response. And that if I'm still around in 10 years time, then come back and see him. And not many people are rejected for mentoring in that brutal, aggressive kind of way. It's usually a lot more subtle. Rejection is usually more subtle. Mm. Um, but for me, it really shook me to my core. And I thought, well, I'll show you, first of all. Um, I was young and, you know, um, gentle. I didn't say it to his face. It's just my inner monologue said that. And, um, <laughs> and you know, I, I did the work <laughs> um, on my own. Um, but it, it made me realise how important mentorship is because I kind of had to do it on struggle straight on my own. I had a Rolodex of people that I would call that they never knew that I was asking them for mentoring because I still want to make myself vulnerable in that way ever again and embarrass myself in that way ever again. Um, 
and, you know, we'll just ask them different questions at different times so that I could, you know, be where I wanted to be. And I realized, gee, that sucks. We need a good access, a ready access of mentors um, because it's hard to do it. We've got LinkedIn today, but, you know, I don't know about you, Tim, but I probably get about anywhere between five to 20 different messages a day on LinkedIn and, you know, filtering through that as well. It takes time. And with all my good intention of wanting to help people in the world, sometimes I'm just going to miss out on responding to someone, not because I didn't want to, but because I'm time strapped. And, and then there are others who want to help, but, you know, simply can't, they'll just never get to you. So we need a, a structure, a system for people to get access to mentors. So there was that realization. I realized we needed a mentor platform yeah. where women could tap into men and women as experts across different levels of expertise and industry so that we could become the best versions of ourselves so we could achieve our ever-growing potential no matter what it is that you want to do in your career confidence business whatever uh, because i was innately aware that some professional women they want to they want to kick ass in their careers but they also want to have a side hustle or they want to hedge their bets a little bit you mm-hmm. know maybe you want to hold a, a a market you know it, you know in, in your local you know roselle or glebe suburbs and so forth um or, or maybe you want to, like me, have, have a, your own fintech and edtech and, you know, go for it. You know, whatever it is, you, need, you, you deserve to have the resources at your fingertips. And the other realisation, Tim, for me was the importance of, you know, financial empowerment. Being a financial advisor, I had seen the gender pay gap at the very cold face. I'm not kidding. I would sit there in meetings. I'd be booked back to back from 9am through to 6 um, and it was a you know awesome time. I'm the kind of person that thrives when I'm busy, right? Mm. And I'd run in between meetings with files, shove some food in my face, and run back, and it was great. <laughs> I, I had the time of my life. Um, but you know, I'd have someone at 11 a.m. and um, and he'd be earning a certain income, and then I'd have his colleague from just a different department, same mm. sort of job description, earning a hundred grand less, uh, and the difference was just male or female. Wow. And it. It, and it made me really step back and it made me start to counsel these women and start to coach them on how to negotiate better packages and better bonuses for themselves because I was giving them ongoing advice. I had a, an ongoing relationship with them. So I realized I had a knack for that. And I, I realized that I wanted to pass on that secret source for women um, because the one thing, Tim, that enabled me to have my freedom um, when, I wanted, when I was going through my divorce, when I had the mm. whole world against me, I had my financial empowerment. I knew how to manage my own money. I had my own financial resources and assets. And that was my life raft to my freedom. And when you look at the way that women are structurally disempowered, you know, economically, I'm so sorry about that, um, you know, economically and, and socially, you realize that it is the way to give women power back. And so I wanted, again, a platform for women to be able to, you know, really learn about money management and get the how-to on it um, and, you know, better negotiate their salaries. And because no one else was doing it, I figured, well, I may as well go out and do it. And, uh, and here we are. That's amazing. That is amazing. And it's going from strength to strength. In terms of pay negotiations, then, because obviously negotiation is something that's key to my heart. And there's, I, I started um, negotiating at age 19 and then went and did it in a professional career capacity. For a, and you got a, so good at it that you wrote a book on it. <laughs> so it's kind of, it really triggered, it, it's great to see that now in action, actually helping people, uh, women specifically, to negotiate better packages. Because I, I, I know that it comes down to how you position yourself within that interview, within that process, within 
And there are little things that you can do to change, which have a huge outcome. And if, and if you're not mentored in that space, and like you said, purely if there's already a disadvantage to you going into that interview, you're already at a disadvantage. Yeah. How do you create? So how, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, if someone is going, a woman is going into an interview next week, what would be your sort of top three tips for them to just position themselves in a way that's going to make them shine in the negotiation mm. So there's, there's so much to this and we can talk about this forever and ever. I can picture, you know, you and I having a massive geek off on this topic and <laughs> yeah. you know, just leveraging off each other's ideas and, and strengths. But look, if, if you're in an interview, the, the first thing you've got to do is, you know, you've got to sell yourself mm-hmm. and just know that no one else is going to do that for you. Um, and no one else can do that for you in the way that you can. If you're going through a recruiter, they will do a certain job, but it's up to you to get there and represent. Your resume will only go so far. Your cover letter will only go so far. Your testimonials, your endorsements on LinkedIn, all that stuff only goes so far. Mm-hmm. It's up to you to campaign for that role. And I think you've got to get in that headspace. And, and every time you're answering one, your question. Sorry to cut you off. I love that word, the campaign for that role that, yes. that brings that to life that is exactly what it, you, you are you're putting yourself out as a it's a campaign absolutely and it's not a it's not a battle it's not a fight it's a campaign you've got it's it's yeah. how you position i love that yeah i'm on a campaign i'm on a mission i will sell this to you you are buying what i am selling and <laughs> you've got to go in <laughs> love it um, you've got to go in with a mindset of success. If you walk in thinking, I hope I get this job. I hope they like me. That's not going to get you into the mindset of, of really nailing that meeting of winning that campaign of getting their vote. Um, so you've got to walk in knowing absolutely being resolute. There's got to be that context, um, as you walk in and, and that way you're doing the best job you can in representing yourself, representing your skills and saying the connecting things. And so, you know, you know, tell me how you did this. I did this, this, and this, and here's the outcome that I got. Add the cherry on top, um, you know, constantly show your results and your achievements because these things are monetized. They're stacked up. Don't get someone else to do those mental gymnastics for you. You do that work for them. And, you know, eventually there'll be a magic question. Eventually, an employer will probably say, well, tell me how much you're currently being paid. And the best piece of advice I can give you on that is do not answer that question. Because if they're, t- if they're asking you how much you're currently being paid, they are anchoring your worth on what you used to get paid. And that is not your worth. Mm. Your worth is the value that you can bring to them now. Mm. You tell them your worth instead. So it's up to you to rephrase that question. So if they say, tell me how much you're, you were being paid at, you know, um, ABC company or whatever, um, it's up to you to then say, okay, well, let's, let's go back and summarize some of the things that I can do for you, the value that I can bring, the productivity that I can add, the people that I can lead. And I think if I can do all these things in addition to, you know, X, Y, and Z, I think that the right remuneration for this role would be X. What are your thoughts on the matter? How does that sit with you? Continue the conversation. Moving along, love it. Yeah, it's sort of it's reframing their question and using it back to them. So, you, how does that? Sit? That's right. Basically, letting it flow through you and then handing it back to them. In cool, look at what we just talked about. Here's the value that that equals, and this is what I bring back. To That's you, right, friend. <laughs> You've got to think of it this way, right? In selling, 
um, or you know, you know, Google AdWords, Facebook AdWords. I think everyone can relate to that, right? It's all about your ROI, you know, in short, return on investment, right? So when they're asking you how much you should be paid, they're asking about their investment. It's your job to focus on the return. That's a massive clarification. That's yeah. Old. Yeah. It's not how much was I being paid currently or anything to do with the current state. It's all about what can I do for you? If I am put in this position, what will I bring to the table and, and having me on board? And like you said, campaigning to make sure that there's no doubt in their mind, like, cause there's no doubt in your mind, right? It's having that no doubt. of there's no doubt here. You're not going to find any doubt. If you're asking me, I'm confident hundred percent. I'm I'm bringing this to the table. Do you want yes. it? If you want it, it's here. That's, that's really, really powerful. Um, onto that then. So two businesses. Amazing. I, like that is my dream. That is my goal. My goal here is, is, you know, to get multiple different entrepreneurial streams up and running, but you've done it. You've gone out there and you've done it. Can you, I'm so incredibly inquisitive and curious about how Upstreet started where it is now, mm. what's your vision for the company, and then how that fits in within your world of the next stage, I guess, for, for you. Yeah, I, I, I didn't ever see myself starting two companies, Tim. It, um, Upstreet's idea stemmed from the remarkable woman where, you know, I mean, we're a membership-based organisation. People pay a certain amount per month and, you know, we, we support them with mentors and the courses, right? Mm. But... I, I, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm very commercially minded. And I think, oh, you know, what about December and January when people are just motivated out? I mean, I don't know about you, but in December, I just want to have a good time with my friends. <laughs> and in January, I'm stood in this like mental detox. You know, the first two weeks I'm on holidays, or at least I want to be on holidays. Um, and I sort of don't need anyone to motivate me or, or I don't want to read any courses at that point in time. I just want to chill out, right? Mm. And so... The commercially minded person in me was thinking, how do I keep, how do I keep delivering value to my members during that time when they don't really want to learn anything because everyone's going to have a bit of a mental break. And I thought, gee, wouldn't it be good to have this purse power portal where they can get access to discounts um, on, you know, groceries and fuel and movie tickets and restaurants and shopping and everything and everything in between. And it could be our way, our grassroots way of closing the gender pay gap, the clever way around. Um, and so I had this coupon based system. You would go on and you would download and get a, a Woolworths e-gift card, a Coles e-gift card, or, a, you know, for your international listeners, you know, they're, they're your Walmart, your grocery stores and, you know, all that mm. sort of stuff. Um, and, um, and women just loved it, Tim. I mean, I used to get social media messages left, right and center how awesome this idea was. And of course, like you, I'm incredibly curious and I, I love sort of, um, you know, opening up the closet and seeing what's inside. Um, and, um, and I went, huh, for the amount of feedback that I'm getting on people telling me they're loving it, they're not using it very much. So what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I real and this is the great thing about entrepreneurialism. If you're just focused on problems and how I can solve this problem. And if you've got antennas up and you're just curious, you'll find yourself setting up a business constantly because that's all we do, right? It's either a vitamin or a, or a pill. Um, and I, and I, think, um, I think I found you know, that right mix. 
Mm. where um, I realized that people weren't using it because it was too clunky. People don't spend their money in $100, $200, $500 lots that are just sitting in a coupon or an e-gift card. Um, and I realized we had to match customer spending behavior. And I also realized that in that loyalty space, retailers were dishing out, you know, so much margin, trying to bring loyalty, buy loyalty from customers by giving them these discounts. But by saving a customer five bucks here, 10 bucks there, 20 bucks here, really, you're not making a lasting impression on them. You're giving them a tiny bit of dopamine every time, but they're not going to remember you. Partner with them and build their wealth and they will. And you'll have a relationship for life. And coming from the wealth industry, I know just how few, and in America, it's so different in that there's this big enthusiasm around, you know, stockbroking and buying stocks. And of course, in Australia, we, you know, we call it shares. And, um, and, you know, in Australia, outside of superannuation, only one third of people have a share portfolio. And there are so many barriers to entry. It's expensive. The forms just do your head in. You have to buy shares in parcels. Everything's complex. And the only person who wins from that is the wealth industry because, mm. you know, they get to charge big hefty fees to solve these things for you. It's all one-on-one -on -one advice and all that sort of stuff. And therefore, those barriers to entry become scary. And I thought, well, there's a pretty big problem here. Why don't we close that gap by creating an app where shareholding becomes as easy as downloading an app. And instead of having to do the research and which companies you're going to support, become a shareholder in the brands that you already know and love through the power of your spending. And instead of companies rewarding you with, you know, dollars here and there with discounts. And of course they do sales all the time to win customers. Why not them give, give, give you as a customer a fraction um, of that company? Why don't you as a customer earn a fraction of that share every time you spend? And instead of being a customer, you become part owner of that brand. And so suddenly the customer and the retailer or the company both stand on the same playing field and you're bringing them both together. And so I thought that was really dynamic. And, um, and so that's how it came about really. And, and that's how I ended up, you know, running two companies. And, um, and it's, you know, we're capital raising right now. We've, uh, we've raised a, a very decent chunk of money and uh, we're raising a, a wee bit more now. Um, and, uh, and we're still in beta, but um, we will be, we will be getting out there, you know, for an open market and, you know, a, you know, customers will be able to download the app around February, 2021, we think um, with uh, with a whole bunch of brands and pretty much you just, download, um, link up your banking details. It's all fully protected, of course. And, uh, and every time you spend, you automatically earn those, um, earn those fractional shares as you go. You don't need to do anything else. Amazing. Amazing. Do you, do you anticipate that this will also help consumers get into that mindset of investing in shares? And, or is it, is it more around the partnership between the consumer and the, the retailer and not being a race to the bottom? I think it's a bit of both. There's certainly that partnership between the consumer and, and the brand. Um, but also something really wonderful happens when you put someone in that space, right? So uh, to, to give you an example, um, so many people say they work so well out of cafes when they change their environment, they change their space and their mind works differently. It's a bit like that with your money, right? You're not in that space of thinking about shares because the life is life's just getting ahead of you. But all of a sudden, you've got an app doing the work for you. You've got notifications telling you you've earned shares. All you've got to do is open that app and you can see a little share portfolio. 
And, um, and of course, with future iterations, we want to enable customers to add to their share portfolio by adding their own money in. So by putting you in that space and that environment, you're automatically going to start thinking about it. So I hope that that does do that for customers and, and really builds financial literacy and builds a mm. relationship with financial well-being. Um, because, you know, my vision for this company is so much more. My vision for this company is to build a fairer, more richer world for everybody. You know, it doesn't matter what your age, your inclination, your education is, your status, um, you can all be a shareholder. And I think the, the quality element to that um, is really, is really something. That's, yeah, that's a really impressive vision. Um, in terms of raising capital then, how's that experience been? I'm really interested to understand, like, yes. yeah, as a, as a, yeah how, how do you, how do you, how do you approach an investor? How do you? get the next round because you if you've done it twice this is this is phenomenal it's really it's so similar to you know negotiating your own salary right you've got to get out of your own way you've got to give yourself permission to succeed um and and what i mean by that is most people don't want to tell their network what they're doing for fear of failure. And I get it, right? Most businesses fail. But put it out there anyway. If, if you're going to fail, it's going to be part of your journey. But your first lot of money is going to come from people who know you already, who trust you and they back you as an entrepreneur. They back you as a professional. And so you've got to, you've got to really solidify that sense of vision and it's like, again, with that salary, right? If you don't believe you're worth it, no one else is going to believe you're worth it. So it's the same with your company. If you don't believe that you can raise that money, if you don't believe your company's worth that money, if you don't believe that you're worth backing, no one else will back you. And the only way that you'll prove that is if you put yourself out there. You know, you've got you to gotta put it out on LinkedIn. You've got to put it out on Facebook. You've got to put it out everywhere that I, you, you've created this company. And conversations will start to happen. I have now raised capital for both my companies. Um, they are both for-profit companies, um, but they're both almost, um, they're both there for a, a better world. They're, they're almost social enterprises in that way, right? I mean, The Remarkable Woman's very much a social enterprise, but if you think about Upstreet, we're creating a better world as a result of, of existing as well. And so by definition, it is too. Um, and so people start, you know, coming out of the woodwork and they'll just have curious conversations with you. Um, you know, hey, you know, Shivani, tell me about the company. Really, you know, really cool, really excited for what you're doing. And you just have chats. And then eventually, before you know it, you start talking about capital and people, they get on board with you. And, uh, and then you're able to start raising those first bits of money. And once you've got that, you've got to show return. You've got to show gumption. You've got to show growth on growth. So provided you then do the work, the rest of the money follows. Um, and, and so I think it's about having that framework and having that knowledge of that journey, but also just knowing that you're going to be rejected 50 to 100 times. That's okay. Be prepared for it. Know with a mentality that you're going in for success. Know that the rejection has nothing to do with you and your company. It's the process. Wow. So and you then keep with that. I'm going to be hit, I'm going to be rejected 50 times minimum. Let's go in with that attitude. Just just go in with it. Don't take it personally. It's the process. You've yeah. got to almost think of it as it's this is just business. I'm going to be rejected. This is just business. What about if you're worried about being judged like on social media or you say put it out to your network, but then that's also scary. What about 
if it does fail and how how does someone cope with that better understanding the judgment and that piece as well as even mm. like being judged um and rejected by an investor but even just by friends and family or even just yeah, yeah. it's like social media like I think the first antidote that I have for that is that just knowing that we're all afraid of the same things. We all have, you know, a great sense of ego and that ego is there to almost make us play small and play safe. Because if our ego is telling us to not make a fool of ourselves, to not stand out because we probably uh, will do something wrong. And then it's the fear of embarrassment and failure and the downfall, right? We're all afraid of the same things and know that your friends are just as afraid of this, of, you know, of looking like an idiot as you are. Mm-hmm. And when you know that, and if you don't know that, you know, go and have a drunken conversation with your mates and they'll tell you that eventually, you know, mm-hmm. find out what they're really afraid of and they'll, and, and you'll get there and you'll realize that at the heart of it, we're all the same. And I think that's really freeing. Um, and, and when you do that, it gives you a bit of courage to go, okay, So we're all afraid of the same things. I'll just go and do it anyway. And ask yourself how you would live your life if fear wasn't an option, if fear wasn't a thing. And that usually gives you a pretty clear picture of what you need to do in order to live a fulfilling life. And then you've just got to, you know, take the stepping stones in order to get there, which is usually one of them is, you know, tell the world what you're doing. And when it comes to putting it out there on Facebook, I'm not saying you know, put it out there. Hey guys, I'm setting up this company. Anyone want to fund me? No one's going to fund you um, when you put it out like that. I'm saying share your vision, share your story. You know, what are you doing and why? What was the problem that you saw? Why are you pouring your heart and soul into this? What do you want from it? And if anyone wants to, you know, come on the journey with you and have a chat to you, then reach out. Um, if they're also thinking about building businesses, let's have a chat. If anyone want to be an accountability buddy, have conversations like that. It will, it will bring out some other good stuff and it will lead to other things. Um, ask the people's mentorship and advice. One of the first things I did was asked, um, I asked if I could get advice from someone who had raised capital before. And, um, and so a friend connected me to another friend and that other friend ended up giving me my very, per- my very first piece of, um, of capital uh, because I, I went and I, you know, poured out my heart and I talked and talked and talked about everything that I wanted to build. And we both ended up getting on, getting up on whiteboards and streaming things out. And he called me the next day and said, um, I think you found your first investor. And I said, Oh yeah, who's that? And he said, me. Wow. And, and so <laughs> it happens, you know, but that would have never have happened if I didn't go and ask that friend for an introduction to another friend. It never would have happened if I didn't tell the world what, what it is that I was doing. Um, you know, I'll never forget this, Tim. I had a friend who's always been afraid of failure, so much so that I remember we were best friends in high school. And she said to me, um, you know, Shani, I'm doing this degree. And I went, oh, that's awesome. What are you doing? I can't wait to hear about it. You know, I'm a talker. I'm, a, I'm an extrovert. I'm a talker. I want, to, I want to hear your dreams and I'll tell you my dreams and it's going to be a fabulous conversation. And she said, well, actually, I don't want to tell you and I'm not going to tell you till it finishes. And, you know, I went, what do you mean? Like, I, I was really perplexed by this. What do you mean? Like, isn't it a three, four-year degree? I've never heard of it, two-week kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. and, and she went, yeah, but I don't want to tell you because I might not finish it and what if I don't and there's so many things that I've started and stopped. And I went, if you are not going to back yourself enough to say it out loud to your best friend, 
you are not backing yourself enough to finish this thing, mm. you know? And, and that's a very small example of what it is that we do to ourselves. We don't tell other people because we're afraid we're not going to follow through, but we don't realize the very action of telling other people creates that greater sense of accountability, but also support that enables us to follow through. I think that's, that's super deep. Yeah. In just the act of standing up for yourself and, mm. and being able to articulate what it is on a, and in the right way. I think something else that came out of that that was really strong was you're not looking for punishment here. You're not going, I'm going to be the next blah, 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 blah. You're, you're, you're selling your vision. You're talking about having the right questions and you're asking for anyone who's ever been touched by this type of thing that you're work, work, working in to come and find you. And you're inviting people in, in a sense, you're giving, you're giving yourself out to the world. And if, if, if people then respond well to that and come to you, the right people will come and find you. And then you, you kind of network within that. And then it leads to, to really good things. I see how that plays out, which is so different, I think, to potentially even just like the Instagram world that we live in right now, where people are putting up totally fabricated scenarios or they're too scared to put up when something good does happen for fear of the comments. Yeah. It's just this binary situation. Whereas what you've just explained is, is, is much more like expressive than that. It's deeper than that. It comes from a visionary type place. So I think that's, that's really going to help people. If, if it's obviously we're in COVID-19 times right now, how, how has that affected business? Has it affected business? How have you been structuring your day? That type, what changes mm. have you made to adjust to basically stay on track during this time? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's impacted, you know, all our lives in, you know, such a great, in such a big way. I shouldn't say great way because it's not really a positive thing. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and it, look, it certainly has impacted, you know, both businesses. One of the first calls I made was, um, you know, the Remarkable Woman team, we all work from home. Um, the Upstream team, we all had an office in the city. And I, I made a call very early on to move the team uh, to work from home. This is, you know, before lockdowns happened, before we knew how long it was going to go on for. I thought, you know what, there's so many spikes in cases. My team travels in from 45 minutes in, some of them 20 minutes in. I'm not exposing them to that. We're going to all work from home for four weeks and it ended up being, you know, indefinitely, of course, uh, but we didn't know that at the time. And, um, and I'm really pleased that, you know, we, we did that for the sake of our team and, and we put their well-being first. Um, and, uh, and I remember, you know, being really nervous when I did my investor update on that. I did an interim investor update and, uh, and I didn't talk about the numbers or the, the retails or the traction. I talked about the team, the health and well-being first. And some of the feedback that I got on that was, you know, Shivani, CEO, you should probably, you know, talk about um, you know, how it's affecting the partnerships. And I said, yeah, I know that's point two, but we've got nothing without our people. And so, and that's not the kind of leader that I want to be. Mm. It's my people first. If I look after my people, the rest will follow. I think Richard Branson has a great mantra around that and, and I really subscribe to it. So um, I did that and uh, against, you know, popular advice and uh, it was really well received. And I think, the lesson in that is you've got to go with your gut. Your gut will tell you how to lead authentically. Um, we lost a whole bunch of contracts. Uh, I had a whole bunch of brands 
um, that we're going to, you know, come on board uh, with Upstreet and essentially reward their customers with shares as they spent. But they were all in the retail industry and retail completely went, you know, down the curve. Oh. So um, that was a given. Um, and so you, you've got to, you've got to change tax. And, um, and so, you know, those things are now put on ice and, and that, that really hurt, you know, mm. there's, there's no, mm. you know, easy way to say it. It was really challenging to go, oh man, I had some really phenomenal things, you know, on the go and it's all on ice and it's, some of them are still on ice. Some of some are now thawing out and coming, coming back, which is great. Uh, but we had other opportunities that came on instead. So I think as business owners, as leaders, but even as leaders of our own lives, you know, no matter what the work it is that you do, you've got to just be able to pivot wherever possible. And, um, and, and so for us at Upstreet, we were able to look at other opportunities that we were able to capitalise on. Um, similarly, at The Remarkable Woman, you know, we were going to you know, roll out a new signature membership. And we were going to do that at the end of March. And, uh, and we went, nope, not going to do that right now. We'll, we'll do that um, you know, in early August. But instead... We're just going to hunker down with, with women and we're going to show support and solidarity and we're going to give as much content as we possibly can because I think what people need right now is they need as much support as possible. Um, mm. and, so, and so I think you've just got to um, pivot intelligently. I think you've got to be really interdependent during these times. Um, and so what I mean by that is, you know, create a plan, look at all the possible options that could that could happen, you know, for you, your life, your business, you, you, um, your team. And then you've got to bring in all the important stakeholders and talk it through and then get them to develop a plan with you so that you're not alone, but so that the communication is really strong throughout. They mm. know they're on that journey with you and you all go through it together and you're stronger together. I think that this, again, I did tell you early on that I'm quite the romantic, right? So I'm going to romanticize this in business, which sounds weird, but when you go through a crisis together, if you can survive that, you can survive anything. And, and I think that when you do that with your team and you do it in a united fashion, um, some incredible things come out of it. And that's what we've tried to do uh, for, for both companies. I think that that's so impressive, like leading through challenging times like this, but also leading like how you want to lead, even though, other people are demanding other ways of leadership potentially, or there's other suggested ways. It's, it's coming back to what's true for you, even in the yeah. face of difficulty. And yeah, like, like just grouping together to get through the tough times makes you tougher and stronger and grow. And it's, I like how, even at the beginning of this conversation, you were talking about pushing the extremities of your limitations and it's like, well, this is it. This is now. This mm. is what you're doing it, even in the face of one of the biggest challenges we've ever seen, even when you're direct market has been hit you've pivoted found a load of new opportunities that are potentially just as good to replace that or even better to come on board and then make it happen that is that is a fierce attitude <laughs> yeah, it's a force to be reckoned with are there areas of your life that you draw on for inspiration like what what drives you forward yeah i actually you know i some of the good stuff and the bad stuff fuel me so, you know, mm. a, a friend told me a quote and it's really remained with me. She said, you've already survived 100% of the worst things that are ever going to happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that gives me a lot of strength. That gives me that, that fierceness that I, I 
I have within me, as you said. And um, when I think back to, you know, that really soul destroying time of, you know, you know, going through my divorce, nothing's ever been as hard as that ever since. So no matter what I face, it's, it's, it's tough, but it's a walk in the park in comparison. So knowing that gives me a lot of energy um, and a lot of drive and, and push through. And, um, and then there's the, the good stuff that I draw upon. And the good stuff is really important because you need a whole bunch of positivity. And I think that, you know, in the world that we live in, we're so hyper aware of the things that we are yet to do. Um, you know, I'm looking, when I look down on my, on my right hand side, I can see I've got two pages full of things written there and it's all to do list. Right. <laughs> um, and I know you were saying, you know, you'd love to run your own companies. We're all so very aware of what we are yet to do, but we don't often take stock of the incredible things that we have done. Mm. And I think that's so important. So I very often do an I did list, um, whether it's the things that I've done today or I've achieved in my life. Um, things that I'm proud of. And I will challenge myself to write until I can no longer write. I, I, I will challenge myself. It's not top three things. It's like, I need to fill a page or I'm going to, I'm going to just keep on writing. Nothing is insignificant. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and that gives me, it gives me strength. It reminds me of some good stuff. And you know, sometimes you can do it in other ways. Other people might just go through their photo album and just scroll through to happier times and go, huh, that's right. I think it's so important that you remind yourself of that. Um, and, uh, and, and so I do that. I draw strength and, and reason from the good stuff and the bad to, to get me through. What would you say out of, I know it's pretty difficult, but, and it's different for different scenarios. Is do you lean more into one or do you do, do you pull on different ones depending on the scenario, like the, the bad stuff to really drive hard or is it, is it the mixture, the, the, the kind of melting pot that, that makes it work? Look, it's probably a melting pot, but I definitely think there's a bit of a lean towards the, my, my, um, my tough experiences have really made me. Mm-hmm. They've, mm-hmm. Um, I, I see myself sometimes as a, a phoenix who had to rise from the ashes because I was burnt down to nothing at one point. Um, and I, I'm not saying that to dramatize, it's just how I felt, you know, mm-hmm. at, at a certain point in my life. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so it's like, I feel sometimes like I have this cool cement core, like a temperature, like a thermometer. And it's just, it's always at a cool bubbling pace and it's strong and it's there, um, you know, and, uh, and it shrinks in the good times and it enables my body that fluid fluidity to move and dance and be happy and be silly and giddy. Um, and I feel like it, it stretches out in the hard times and it, you know, holds me firm in all of my crevices wherever I need to. And, um, I, so I guess, yeah, I guess I, I lean more, you know, the, I, I guess that's, yeah, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, Tim, but I think that's how I do it. (laughs) I think that's a phenomenal explanation of, and just visually, like, like what you're saying is it, it's flexible. What, what then onto that then, what brings you joy and how do you recommend others find it? You know, um, I think this is so multifaceted from a, you know, from a, I'm a real whole of life person, right? Living a fully expressed life is something that I, I, I do and um, doing what I love brings me joy. Mm. Um, you know, doing things like this with you, I mean, what an absolute privilege and pleasure to do this. Um, and I'm forever grateful for opportunities like this. 
and helping women, setting up platforms. Sometimes when we do, we do talk platforms. Um, it's, it's our way of enabling members to get out there and raise their profile and share their stories. And when I see an everyday remarkable woman, an everyday hero get up there and share her story and break through her barriers, I get goosebumps and that brings me joy. Um, but then there's also some of the silly stuff as well. Literally being silly brings me joy. You know, <laughs> kissing my cat endlessly yeah. until he squirms, wanting to get out and I'm like, no, it's happening, you know. <laughs> um, crawling around the floor with him while he head bonks me and then I head bonk him gives me so much joy. Baking gives me joy. Dancing gives me joy. Drinking red wine with the girlfriends or the husband mm. Um, mm. gives me joy. I've obviously remarried, Tim. Um, and um, spending time with my beautiful parents, being grounded. So I think it's, it's all those things. Uh, you know, so ultimately, it's just being true to you. Yeah, find, finding you. And, and when you're in that space and just... Yeah. Yeah, not letting, letting a version of you take over to the point that it, it, it extinguishes the fun. Like it's actually having yes. fun in that is, is your fun. And then letting that, letting that have a riot and a ball. That's awesome. Um, how do people find out, or how do women find out more about Remarkable Women? Um, and what's, what's the kind of path or journey they would go through? Sure. So um, they can find us by going to theremarkablewoman.com.au and uh, they can join our mailing list for free and get, you know, weekly inspo if they like. They can join our signature membership wait list. Um, and, you know, we do all sorts of things like give them, you know, how-to videos in 20 minutes or less on how to, you know, um, you know, better manage your money through to your career and business and so forth and mentors. So they can find out, um, they can find us through that. Uh, or they can find us on Instagram, The Remarkable Woman or Shivani underscore Gopal. Um, and if, for those who want to download the app uh, for Upstreet and get on the wait list for that, they can go to upstreet.co. Um, and I think they can, they can find both companies or, or me that way. So, so the app is coming out February 2021. Did, yes. Is, it's in development pilot stage right now. What's the most? Yes, or the month may change. We may decide it's Jan or uh, March, depending yeah. on market conditions. But approximately Feb twenty twenty one. Yes. And what what's the most exciting thing about having an? Is it? Do you have a workable app that is being piloted? What's the most exciting thing about that right now? Yeah, we do. Um, I've I've actually got a um, on my phone, and um, yeah. it's it's like seeing a child grow. Um, because you see the app grow from strength to strength consistently. And look, I can't take, you know, um, credit for that. We've got uh, my, my co-founder and, and CTO, Erman, has, has really built that in, in association with our tech team mm -hmm. um, at, at Upstreet. Um, but it's like when, when you just see that grow, it's seeing your vision come to fruition, it's so fulfilling. Um, and it's also, it's a real pinch me moment as a woman in finance and I get that people thought, you know, most people think finance is tricky, but I think tech is tricky. You know, I've never been a techie. Um, and to think that I'm running a fintech now is just, holy moly, am I really doing this? And, um, you know, breaking some of those own barriers to myself, um, that's pretty incredible. And in terms of books out there, any, any books you'd recommend, any books that you've read that have, have really touched you? Yeah, um, the book that's most touched me, um, I mean, there's, there, there's so many, but um, 
there's an incredible book um, called All That I Am by Anna Funda, and it's a fiction. Um, but the, the characters in this book are so strong, um, strong female characters, of course. I'm a, I'm a passionate feminist. And, um, and I'm, I've never read a book with such, such incredible characters that, you know, I still think about from time to time. And I think, what would Dora do? And I'll do it Dora's way kind of thing. So mm -hmm. she's incredibly, the protagonist, is, she's incredibly inspiring. Um, so, there's, um, so there's that. Um, of course, there is, um, there's Viktor Frankl's book as well. Mm -hmm. um, that has had a, you know, a very strong impact on me. Um, there's a, a recent book that I read, I, I Know This To Be True by Gloria Steinem. And, uh, and it's a very short book, actually. Incredible anecdotes um, on her experiences. And um, she said this one thing that really stayed with me. She said, the powerful, for the powerful, the noun is enough. For everyone else, they'll always need an adjective. And I thought that was so profound. Um, you know, it's, um, it's why, you know, for example, with, you know, Barack Obama, he was the first black president um, rather than, you know, he's a president or, you know, if Hillary Clinton, you know, did make it, she would have been the first female president, for example. Um, so, so there's so much of that female leader and then there's just leader as opposed to male leader. Um, and I think that as society, one of the things that's happening right now, um, there's many revelations that are happening about the human condition right now because of COVID-19, because of the, the great awareness around racism in the world and um, the very needed um, discussions that are happening around Black Lives Matter. And I, I think that, you know, norms are being challenged in, in the ways that they should have been. And I think that if you're challenging norms, you've got to rethink the way that we use our language as well. Uh, because language is a very powerful thing that, um, you know, dictates the outcomes of our lives, but also the narratives that we feed ourselves. So, um, so when she said that, I thought, yeah, fair point. Um, incredible. And I'm going to take that on board. So, um, that's my takeaway. Nice one. Nice one. Um, okay. Then I'm, I'm very conscious that you are very busy and just to wrap up with the last question, oh, oh, two questions. Uh, where do you find courage and what is the single biggest driver of success? What has been in your life? You know, I find courage when I look at the journey of my parents. Um, you know, most immigrants, there's that classic story of I came to this country with $10, you know, in my back pocket and nothing else. And that was very true for my parents too. But they had a really good life in Fiji, Tim. And um, they had a successful restaurant. Um, they it were very comfortable. They had their own home. They, you know, they had, you know, two cars. Like, just, just they were comfortable. Mm. They didn't need to come to Australia. And they did that for us. They did that for, for me and my two sisters. And to give that up and to then start all over again, and through the currency conversion and the expenses of coming here on a business visa and all that sort of stuff um, meant that they ended up coming here with 10 bucks because, you know, of, of the, you know, the big exchange. Yeah. And, and they did that for us and their landing point was my launch pad. I had that great privilege of having that as my launch pad and knowing everything that they sacrificed to give me this life 
gives me a whole bucket full of courage. You know, if they can do that for me, I don't think I have the courage to uproot myself and go to a, a new country and start all over again. I, I just, I, I don't know. There are certain things I can and can't do. And that's probably not one of them that I want to try just yet, but it gives me um, so much courage to keep pushing forward. That's an amazing example. That's an amazing example. I oh, thank you so much, Shivani, for, for coming on the podcast, for giving up your time today and to talk to us like, the gems that you shared, the knowledge that you've dropped, I think is, is remarkable. And I think, <laughs> pardon the pun, and I, I, yeah, it's just been full of examples from real life. I love that the examples where you've, you've taken a situation and you've looked at it and it's forced you and you've, you've really analyzed how it's got you to, to the next level and the next level and the next level and then how you can apply that in your life. And I think things going on and you've done amazingly well with what, what you've been achieving. Um, and one last question. What is the best thing about what you do? The best thing about what I do is that I get to do me. This is the life that I've always wanted to live. I've always wanted to have my own business. I've always wanted to communicate and share a message for greater good. Um, you know, all the stuff that I'm doing in my life is doing me, expressing me. And I think it just doesn't get better than that.